up, guys. You have no idea how many times I've recorded this start. Anyways, uh, this is Jordan with Starting a Startup. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this, this is a podcast where I chronicle starting up a brick and mortar company as well as a technology company. Uh, we're doing high caliber carding entertainment. It's our indoor brick and mortar, go-karts, axe throwing, arcades, pocket soccer, bar, kitchen, VIP rooms, all the cool shit that you would ever imagine that you would ever want into, into something that you own, putting it all into one place. Uh, and then also a IT technology startup company that's really gaming oriented uh, and user experience oriented. Um, so this is how this works. Listen to this podcast, enjoy it, revel in my beautiful voice, but also understand that some of the shit that I'm going to tell you right now could be wrong. I'm learning as I'm going through this process and every step of the way has definitely been a learning curve. Um, so before you make action on any of the advice, listen ahead, go behind, catch up on prior episodes, but this is just hopefully going to give you a little bit better direction on what to do if you're looking to make a step in that direction yourself. Now, there is a little bit of some uh, delays between the shows and everything. Uh, this is trying to get uh, this podcast in along with all the other things that we're doing with starting this up makes it really difficult. So I'm going to do my best to tell you exactly what we're doing, keep you updated with it, but understand that there is a million other things going on in the background that I may not be getting up on this list. So understand that I'm, I'm going to simplify these things into these little 20 and 30 minute shows, but understand that there is a massive amount more work that goes into this beyond that. So anyways, guys, today what I wanted to talk to you about was uh, is, is a little bit about our customer flows. So I'm going to go through, talk a little bit about what we did with that, and then I'm going to give you guys an update of where we're at. So one of the things that uh, we as a team, we were going through, we started getting a lot of people calling to do pre-reservations for their parties. Our opening date is August 31st, and we are going to start putting those things, to start putting those events together and uh, pre-registering people and uh, booking them now. Uh, we actually booked an event for September 2nd already, so two days after we opened. So it kind of holds us accountable to our own numbers about when we're going to open and all that. But it also holds our contractors and construction team accountable to make sure that we hit those metrics. Um, so really, it's kind of the whole idea of you put some pain in front of you so that you have to accomplish the goal that you're going after. Um, but anyways, as we're going through this, you know, we have people that are contacting us saying, hey, we have 160 people that we want to have come to your facility. Um, and we got to, you know, really, we realized we need to be event coordinators. We can't just be this, you know, okay, here's your event. It's cookie cutter. This is the sale price for it, you know, blah, 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 whatever. You figure it out. Like we need to give somebody every step of the way a great experience, have somebody who guides them through it. So we started talking about what does that look like? And one of the most important events of anybody's lifetime is a wedding. And for anybody that's been married or went through that process before, or even been close to somebody that's went through that process, you understand that it is a massive amount of work to organize and plan those events. Well, when you get to the venue, everything should be laid out. And if you have an event coordinator, coordinator they take care of everything from there. So when you get to your wedding, they're making sure that people are seated in the right place and that everybody's timeframes on when they're going to go places, all those things, they're, they're building that atmosphere and that event. Well, we realized that's got to be us. When people are putting these large events together and booking out our entire facility, 
we've got to get it so that everybody's engaged and being interactive and having fun and there's no massive lag times and long waits and or on the other side of things a rush to get from point a to point b so as we're going through this we're realizing you know our facility is quite large and we don't want to rush people to get from let's say our party room or our vip rooms party room is the furthest away from our car track at this first facility so what we decided was we need to book this out a minute by minute type of thing so we went through and had an idea of, okay, how many people can we get on the go-kart track at any given time? So we have 35 go-karts now at this point. Ideally, we're going to have eight run per track. We've got two tracks while eight are charging, and that gives us a little bit of room for any carts that might have damage, need battery swaps, things like that. So at any given time, we're going to have eight people going around each go-kart track. Now, those events take about eight and a half minutes of when they're physically on the track and they're actually racing around. Now, before that, they've got about a four and a half to five minute briefing video that they're going to be watching while they're sitting in pit road. We, we decided instead of to give them a separate room to do this, we were going to set them up at on pit road with television screens and, and computer or, and speakers. That way they can be feeling the seat belts and adjusting the steering wheel as we're explaining how all that works rather than hear it and then go over there and try to do it. So now we're sitting at, let, let's call it 13 minutes of racing and the uh, and briefing. We've also got time for them to get out and get on pit row, uh, to line them up, to get their initial warm-up laps, you know, take them out, bring them into the pits, get them out of the pits. We also had to figure out how much time are they going to spend looking for helmets, how much time are they going to spend getting in their carts and getting buckled in? All of these things we had to account for. So we knew from point A to point B, which point A is my name is called and I'm up to race to point B is I'm putting the helmet back on the rack and I'm walking out and getting my, my results. We need to know what that looked like because if we can only do eight people at a time and they book a four hour event, how many people can we get through that four hour event that can actually race? So let's say somebody contacts us and wants to do 200 people at their event or something, and they only want to book two hours. Well, flat out, we can't get everybody through carding at that point. Is that something that they're okay with? And the whole purpose of this is to make sure that the client that's going to be hosting the event understands the experience that they're, that they're creating for their, their event, their people. They may, they may say, you know what? No, I want everybody to race go-karts. And we can explain to them that, okay, if we do that, we've got to add more time. But really, it's all just an effort of making sure that we give the best experience physically possible to the customer. Now, on top of this, we also drafted a sales contract. This sales contract is four pages long, and it outlines everything that they need to be doing, the things that they shouldn't or they need to ask about. But our event, co our event coordinator and our salespeople, they know this like the back of their hands. We involve them in creating this to make sure that we hit all aspects of it. So this whole thing was focused around what's the flow of getting people through the facility. So here's how it looked. So we went into the facility and I'm explaining this to my team and what we've got to be able to do. And they, they're fully on board and we kind of get an idea of, of, you know, some theoreticals of what we're going to need, what it's going to look like. So I go into our, our conference room where our, our, our uh, interns are working on our IT developments and I steal them away. I said, okay, I need you guys. You're going to go stand over here in the party room. They don't know our facility or anything. 
And then I wrote on pieces of paper track and then I did an arrow and I strategically placed people throughout the facility of where I thought signage needs to be. And then I told the interns to take their time and go walk to the go-kart track. And along the way, I was like, stop and watch axe throwing for a second and, you know, take a look at the arcade or, you know, bullshit with somebody as you're coming through, you know, things to be able to make it. So it's a leisurely walk over there. It's not like I'm up next and they have to run to get over to the go-kart track to make sure that they can get there in time. So during this, I'm timing this whole thing, but I'm also watching where are their eyes going as they're walking? Now, granted, we're a construction zone right now, so their eyes are going into places that they very differently than what will probably be when we're open, but it gives us a good starting point. So as they're going through, I'm watching. What are they walking by? What is it that they're going to be interested in as they go through this? And what obstacles are going to be in their way during it? So as they get into the, tar- the car track, I hit time. It took them about, I think it was four minutes or something like that to get through. It may have been two. I don't know. I have this all written down somewhere. Um, but, and then they go into the go-kart track. Once they get into the staging area, we've got to think, okay, their head socks, they've got to pick out their helmet. They're going to pick out the wrong helmet and they're going to have to check a different one, that type of stuff. So we had them go through, put on their helmet, strap it in, take their helmet off because it was the wrong size, swap between one another. And we were timing all these things to just get a real understanding of what is it going to take for our average customer. Now there's two sides to this. Our primary goal is to make sure that our customers are getting that good flow and they're maximizing their time, but they're also not feeling rushed. But also, we want to have as many races go through per hour as possible. Now, we'll never, ever sacrifice the customer experience by pushing through more races, but every race we get through is eight more people who just paid for a race. And when we're busy, especially when we have an event, we have like 200 people, That cart track is going nonstop. We need to provide that value to the customer that they paid for because we charge them for that stuff. So we have to be really detail-oriented on how is this flow going to work. Now, this is something that is, it's kind of a, I guess, a Six Sigma type of thing where you're looking for where should I place this and, um, you know, how much movement, how many steps is it to get to this and, you know, plotting out to make sure for maximum efficiency it's a much more um, Neanderthal way because it's not it, it, it's not that detailed, but it gives us enough of a direction and enough of a buffer to plan for variables. Now, we also realized through this process that with our briefing, we're going to have people who are... So with the, with the way we have it set up is, let's say somebody is in their carts and they take off to go to do their warm-up lap. When they take off out of the pits, we close that barrier and we start loading the other row of carts. Now, when we load that other row of carts, they're going to start watching their briefing video. It takes them about seven minutes to get in their carts, get buckled, watch their briefing video. Now, that race is about eight and a half minutes. So at the most, we have one to one and a half minutes of buffer time, which is a substantial amount of time. Right now at this podcast, we're sitting at about 12 minutes just to give you an idea. But we have substantial amount of buffer time there to make sure that when that race pulls back into the pits, before they get out of their carts, we can launch the next row and then get those people out of the carts, get the new people in their carts. Now, that next layer is not only just getting people in the carts, we have to get the other people out of the carts. So that minute and a half buffer now becomes very tight. So we realize we need more than one 
pit crew. So pit crew are the people who they interact with the customers, make sure they have a good experience, check their seat belts, uh, make sure their steering wheels are adjusted. They bullshit with people. They give them advice on hitting apexes and how to how to attack the track, things like that. It's they're really our our customer experience manager of the pit area. Their job is going to be to make sure to get people in and out quickly without making people feel like they're being rushed in and out. So we realized we needed to add a person to that, which we're open for 79 hours a week, which we're going to also be there for an hour before we open and an hour after at least every single day. So now we're looking at an additional 89 hours of labor. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, 93 hours of labor. So, you know, that's that's a big investment we're making with that. But as we're going through this process, we're able to identify those things. Now, you've got to do this. Your facility, the, how the customers flow is going to dictate how much business you can actually drive into it. So when they walked from the party room, they passed our bar, our seating bistro area, our VIP rooms, axe throwing, the arcade, our driver simulators, pocket soccer. They went by everything. And we did that on purpose because we want people to be able to see all of our offerings. So that way it may encourage them to try something that maybe they didn't think about doing before. Our whole business model is around giving people new and, and engaging experiences. So we really want to push them into those things. So th that's also leads to a lot of possibilities for distractions and obstacles in the way. When we lay this all out, we got a big board on the wall that's in, up here in my office in my shop at my home. There's a big printout that's probably, I don't know, two and a half foot by four foot of our facility with a big uh, plexiglass cover over top of it. And we use dry erase markers to draw out what's the flow going to look like? How are they going to get from point A to point B? I bet you we went through 45 different layouts of the facility. I mean, easily 45 different layouts to maximize, to make sure our customers were very comfortable. Honestly, the only thing that we really never we're super excited about is where our registration is. It feels kind of hidden and tucked back. Um, but it did save us probably a solid 50 to $60,000 putting it where it is. And we figure we can buy a lot of signage for that price. Um, so, but we were able to identify these things by looking at where's my customer going to walk into my building. And when they walk in, where are they going to go? What's the prime thing that they're going to go looking for? And we placed everything to make sure that it was conducive to the customer and, and, you know, think about it this way. Four-year-olds can grab an iPhone and navigate it. It's very user-friendly. It's very intuitive. Our facility needs to be on that level where somebody walks in and it just feels like they need to go this direction. It's very obvious they go this direction. You go to an airport and you need to find your terminal. There's signage everywhere to get you to where you need to go. And generally, it's not too difficult to find your terminal. That's how our facility needs to work. So when we're going through and we're doing these customer flows, we're able to identify what issues we have that may interrupt that. Um, there's actually people that specialize in this stuff you can hire. They're really fucking expensive, but we, we, we consulted with many of them to get an idea of what we were looking for, and then we went forward with it ourselves. And that's kind of been our MO this entire time for advertising and designing logos and facility layout, build process, all, all this shit. We just kind of figure it out. You know, the going by the, the motto, everything is figure outable. So that's been, that was kind of a fun little story. Something that we went through the other day that, that I really genuinely enjoyed. But at the end of the day, what I'm getting at is that 
you need to be focusing on the customer's experience throughout this process. We spent a lot of extra money on this facility for things that are not going to provide additional intrinsic monetized value, things that you can actually say, this is how much money I made by making this decision, or this is how much money I saved. We spent a lot of extra money because we know as a customer, we want to make sure that they're comfortable and they're happy in our atmosphere because it'll keep them there longer, which means that they'll spend more money with us. It's just a giant circle of business. So that's kind of been, that was one of our most, one of my favorite things that we did over here over the last week. It, it, it was very strategic. It was very structured. It was something that we, that puts us ahead of the competition um, to making sure that we have the best business that's out there. So I'll give you guys a little bit of an update of where we're at right now with the, with the, with high caliber carding. Um, I'll start with the, with the brick and mortar and then I'll get into the tech side of it. So um, with our brick and mortar high caliber card and entertainment right now, most of the drywall is up. Uh, they've laid paint on the interior of the facility and most of the exterior. They've built out all the rooms. Um, we've got materials showing up daily. We've got everything lined up. Oh, we actually, we right now, Casey, as I'm recording, this is flying to Florida to make sure that we've made the right choice, but we've chosen our driver simulators and we are jacked about these things. Um, full motion, um, there's even a thing on there. It's called a G4 seat that as you turn, it actually compresses the seat in certain areas to make it feel like you're, you know, you're getting the G forces of a turn. Um, just really cool stuff. Really, really cool stuff. Top, top of the line. Um, we're really excited to get that in. Uh, Connor and Casey actually drove to the owner who creates these sim rigs uh, of the company, the owners of the company um, to their house. And they showed them everything they did to develop it. So, it was really cool. They got a chance to experience, I mean, right down to the core of what it was. Um, so we're really excited about that. I really can't get over that one. Um, so we've got our arcade stuff already locked and loaded. We got a ton of the barriers. Uh, we got a half of our barriers the other day, which was 40,000 pounds in a truck, um, which is a son of a bitch to unload. We were exhausted after that because we did it by hand. Um, we're still going to have another truckload of that. We'll be installing barriers mid-July. And then at that point, we can go through and we can actually start testing uh, the track and the combat carding system stuff. Um, outside of that, today's our first day that our admin actually is officially working in our office. So we're jacked to have her finally on site. She's been working uh, remote. She's still going to be working remote for the next couple of weeks from her home. But at least she's moved to Michigan, got in her apartment yesterday or the day before. Um, and now she's, you know, going to start setting up her office here today. We have, we've passed our electrical and building inspection actually almost gotten a shitload of trouble. So our, uh, we, we did this at, at this video, uh, and we did it planning to do it for Kickstarter. And so we got some advice. You should start a Kickstarter, get people aware of it. Think of it as advertising, all this stuff. So we spent an metric ass load of money hiring a professional film crew and doing this Kickstarter video, which I'll be honest, was one of the most fun things we've ever done in our lives. So we wrote out the, the script and the settings and the scenes and got materials and, and um, uh, whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, props, props. We, uh, we ordered some props to be able to, you know, make it a unique uh, setting that, you know, as people watch it more and more, there's things that they don't see uh, the first time that they'll see the second and third time watching it. And then we just made asses of ourselves and had a ton of fun and it, it received great response. Um, we had, 
I think over 50,000 views from it, um, several thousand shares. I mean, it, it, it did really well, and it started to get the name out there for us. Well, one of the issues was we had a final scene, and uh, I decided it would be a good idea to light an axe on fire and throw it at a uh, target that was covered in a highly combustible high flash point material um, and burst it into flames. Now, I do want to specify... I come from a firefighter family. I've got a fucking tattoo of the firefighter cross on my back. Um, at like seven years old, they I got uh, honored as the as an honorary firefighter from the town I grew up in, and they hosted a dinner for it. Um, for all the town was invited to come to it. I kind of have been involved in this stuff for a long time. Well, anyway, so as we did this, we have a full fire suppression and fire alarm system engaged in the facility, ready to go in case any issues happen. We picked out an area of the facility that was non-combustible, all concrete and metal, and then we had six fire extinguishers near us. Now, when this X hits this board, it is a solid three seconds of fire. So we film this, we do it, throw the X, it hits the board. I don't know if I've really set this whole thing up already, but when we sent out this video and it got out there, it started getting some traction, the fire marshal saw it. And the fire marshal was pissed. So it ended up being he came to the facility a couple of times trying to find me, uh, really frustrated because I'm here and there and everywhere. Um, so I reached out to him a couple of times. I finally got a chance to get a hold of him. Uh, he showed up and he threatened me with four misdemeanors and a year in prison. Um, so be cautious about what you do for advertising. Uh, big thing he asked for, he just wanted, uh, he wanted us to ask for permission to do things. So yes, sir, we will ask for your permission going forward before we do this stuff. Um, ultimately, you know, nothing happened. It was fine. You know, that's kind of how some things go for this type of stuff, especially with authority figures. But that was, uh, that will be always one of my favorite stories is that our first commercial almost got me a year in jail. Ultimately, we need his sign-off, though, to be able to open the facility. So we want to be on his good side. He's, he's just trying to do his job. Um, so, yeah, all of our inspections are completely done. Uh, our building should – I mean, we're ahead of schedule. We're, we're, we're looking – we're no longer under budget. We're sitting a little bit over budget now because we decided to add some additional things to our facility um, and do some things that would be uh, more conducive to our, our customers and our experience. So um, – with these projects, that's fairly common. There's actually a thing called a contingency that you build into your uh, your budget. Um, so for us, our construction, we have a $100,000 contingency. That's the, oh shit, I didn't think of this money, um, which was about 10% of what the build-out cost was going to be. Um, on top of that, we also have an additional $60,000 contingency for things like, oh, well, we thought the simulator rigs were going to cost us $15,000 each, not $45,000, you know, those types of things that can really bury a contingency real quickly. Um, so at least we're still operating underneath the final budget with the contingencies, but we've dipped into that contingency a little bit. Um, we've added the advanced lighting control and all LED upgrades. That's going to allow us to be able to do color changing things with the track once we get the combat carrying system up and running. Um, we're really excited about all the decisions that we're making for this, but Honestly, at the end of the day, we have a long list of things ahead of us. And in two and a half months, we are fucking live. There is nothing that's going to stop that train. So we've really got to get our shit in gear. One of the other things we did, uh, we went through this yesterday. 
when we originally planned our business plan, I think we were at, I think 18 employees on top of the six full time that we have. Well, we went through yesterday and we laid out where do people need to be and how much time do they need to be there and you know, like for, for full staffing. You know, for the first several months, we anticipate that our business is going to be quite busy during almost all working hours, uh, especially with events and, um, you know, the newness of the facility. People are going to want to come check it out. So we want to staff the facility at full, full business. So we went through and we looked, what does that look like? Um, and as we laid out the facility, we were able to say, all right, we need three track marshals to be able to do, you know, if anybody has, keep an eye on people, make sure they're not doing shit that's going to hurt somebody. Um, and to also, you know, if somebody gets in trouble or if we see a cart has an issue, we can, we can shut that down and, you know, communicate with the crew chief to make sure that everybody's having a good, safe experience and, and are enjoying themselves. So that's three marshals. We realized, you know, through that process of loading, unloading, we need two pit people. We have to have a crew chief that's monitoring everything between both of the tracks. Um, and then that's just the go-kart track. And then we also have to have a maintenance mechanic for it. Well, we need to cover 93 hours of this stuff. So we can't just have one maintenance mechanic. We've got to have two. We can't just have three track marshals. We've got to have 12. Um, we've, we plan a lot of this stuff around. Uh, most of these positions are, are part-time positions. And then we identified, you know, how much are we going to pay each of these individual positions? What's their succession plan going to be? So, you know, if I come in and I'm I'm working in the, you know, as a track marshal, we're a flag person, basically, I'm going to be making minimum wage. I'm standing there and just pointing out things to people. It's not a difficult job. It's not strenuous. We can teach anybody to do it in, in less than two hours. Anybody that has a positive attitude. But like our crew chief, you know, he's going to be a couple positions up because he's in charge of managing everybody and making sure that everybody's doing their job and everything's happening safe. He's got a lot more responsibility on his shoulders and has to have a higher level of awareness and understanding of all the positions. So he's up there in, I, I don't know, in mid 10 per hour, something like that. Minimum wage here in Michigan right now is 925. So we, we laid all these out. And then we were able to calculate it all of, okay, we need this person for this many hours a day and these people this many hours a day. And as we went through, we were able to say, okay, here's how much it's going to cost us for our payroll per week. Now, this has changed quite drastically from our original business plan. Our original business plan was really along the eyes, the, the lines of, we're going to put a go-kart track inside of the facility and, that, and, and inside of these walls and we're going to have a great time. And then we added a bar and then we added a bistro and then we added axe throwing and then the arcade got pretty serious and the driver simulators got big. And, you know, it, then we added pocket soccer. I mean, we had all these different complexity layers that we had never accounted for before. And then we started realizing that some of the feedback we were getting from our customers was, you know, our bar is going to be the go-to place. It's not just people who are going there to go car are going to go to a bar. We're the fucking hopping bar. So now all of a sudden, rather than looking at, okay, you know, at any one time we might have 350, 400 people in the facility. No, we may have 300 people in our bar area at any one time. So now we need two bartenders rather than one and, you know, staff it for that way and plan for it and build it and market it that way. And as we went through, we got done with it and we realized our payroll went up $365,000 a year, which was kind of an oh shit moment. But when we look back and we recalculate, 
the anticipated revenues of each division that we've added, you know, we still fall within budget. You know, it's, it's, yes, it's a little bit more risky. Um, the profitability margin isn't as high because that payroll really hits it pretty hard, but we're still perfectly fine with a hundred percent confidence. But these are all the things that we're doing day in, day out, while we're also negotiating deals for the pocket soccer and the simulators and setting up vendors for materials for cleaning and restrooms and building schedules for uh, for how people are going to be staffed and uh, job descriptions. And now we got to host a hiring event for, you know, 62 people, I think. Well, we need 59 and we figure we're probably going to add an additional 20 people we'll hire on and we'll explain to everybody that after three weeks, we are going to cut 20 people from our staff, the bottom 20 people. And we're all going to, as a team, get together and we're going to make a, my core team, my, my executive leadership team. We're going to get together and we're going to discuss each individual employee and what their progression looks like. Um, you know, those 20 people, probably out of that, 10 of them will naturally choose their own direction. They'll choose to not show up on time or not show up at all, maybe. Um, the other 10 are people who are just not going to really be performers, not really getting it. And, you know, we'll make that decision. That's kind of our anticipation. So at the end of the day, we're going to have to hire about 80 people. Um, so how are we going to facilitate hiring 80 people and how are we going to recruit 80 people and where are we going to host those things at? So getting things loaded with indeed and building these job descriptions so people know exactly what they're applying for, all those things. There's just a million different layers going on, and I'm very blessed to have a fucking amazing team behind me. If there's one thing I can tell you right now is that if you're thinking to do something on your own or grow a business or even be a successful manager of a business, you know, in charge of a company or in charge of a store or something like that, everything boils down to having just a great team. Because the thing is, is if you are able to do it, somebody else can also do it. If they feel driven, if they feel like they have a purpose in achieving this and putting their all their effort behind it, and they're rewarded accordingly, they're going to bust their ass for you in this. And you're not going to be able to do it any better than they can. So you can give them the autonomy to go and say, I know you're going to kick ass at this. Go. Let me know what you need. I have that with my entire fucking team. You know how easy it is for me day to day to know we're going in the right direction? I have guys that are... They, they have no experience, but they're stepping into it and they're doing the exact same research I can, but they have more time to do it. So they're making better decisions. And they also know that I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to, I'm going to consult them for every decision. Ultimately, I'm going to make the decision that needs to be made because that's my fucking job. And sometimes hard decisions have to be made. And that's what your job is going to be in all of these roles, but they're doing it too. You know, I had a moment where my, my, uh, my guy Casey was going through stuff and he was talking about uh, redemption and he said, you know, I just realized I have to just get to a point where I just make a decision on it. And I figured, you know what? Fuck it. It's a $5,000 mistake if I mess it up. That's not the worst thing that ever happened. And I literally jumped out of my seat and just excitement because he's, that tells me he's willing to take risks. He's willing to take ownership. He understands the scope of this project and you know how impactful it's going to be. And I know him. I know he spent way more time than I ever fucking would trying to figure this out. And so I know it's going to be the right decision. But the fact that he was willing to fail and fail right now, failing fast, I think is a new cool term for it, was so good to hear. That tells me my team knows 
They've got control of the business. They've got control of their direction. They have autonomy to make decisions and trust that I'm going to support that decision even when it fails. That's what your fucking team should feel like. That's how they should be operating every single day. So we also have that combat carding side of things. Now we bought, we're bought, we hired two interns uh, to come onto the team and do some development with Kevin. Now we've given them some tasks and really um, this has helped massively structure us. And when I say us, Kevin, um, Kevin is the one who is massively more structured and anybody that knows me knows that that's not really my, my best quality. Um, but we're doing these things called sprints and we're working on stories. So as a, a story, anybody who's IT oriented, you're probably going to roll your eyes as I explain this because I'm going to do my best here, but I don't understand it nearly in depth as well as people that are experienced with it. So leave, leave your, your, your emails and DMS alone. Okay. Um, anyways, so they have these things they are doing scrum stories. So a story is along the idea of as a driver, I want to press a button and know that I fired a shot. Okay, that's a story. Now that story has a lot of complexity to it. It has a button that gets wired in. It has some type of feedback that the shot got fired. Um, some type of communication system, you know, whatever. We And we line item what all these things are. And then we use the Fibonacci series, which if you don't know what the Fibonacci series is, it's super interesting. Google it, look it up. Um, but it's, it's basically, it's one, one, three, five, uh, eight, 13. Um, so what it is, is it's the first number plus that second number or yeah, one, one, two. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of them off the top of my head while I'm recording this shit. But anyways, so we assign a point value based off the Fibonacci feel series of how long will this, how many points is this worth? And those points correlate to how much people that our team can accomplish in a week. So it gives us a, its own sense of time. So it's a really high performing team may be able to complete 80 hours worth of physical labor that would be produced. A poor performing team may be, you know, 30 hours, but rather than using that metric of how many hours is going into it, it's, we look at effectiveness. So we know if we assign three points to that, that they can, they can accomplish that in less than a week. You know, they may be able to handle 20 points a week as a team. So we allocate that out to, this project, this project, this project. So maybe eight points on this one and three on this one. And then we look back at it and we say, how did we do on that? Did we achieve all those things? Did they take that much time? And are they now capable of doing, let's say 30 points a week? Is that really where they're at? Or did they not hit it? And maybe 18 points a week is where they need to be. And we're constantly looking for how productive are they in a point sense? That way, when we say, okay, developing, you know, putting a laser on so you can physically see a laser, is a, you know, a one point thing. It takes no time at all to code. It. It's just an on off switch and that's it. That gives us a better way of identifying how much time it's going to take to do something. Now, on top of all this, we're talking about minimum viable products. What is it going to take to get this product out and on the track? So in the minimum viable product, we're not looking at, you know, a full user experience screen and a scoreboard system and all that stuff. Those are things that can come in later. It's, get on a car, go out, shoot somebody, and they feel it slow down. That's all it is. Now, we're not going to release to market with that. That's going to be, you know, our first bet of proof of, you know, that we're, we're going in the right direction. Then we add in the LCD screen. Then we add in the lasers. Then we add in the, you know, the audible. Um, we, we're, we brought in speakers into this so that we can get more uh, customer, more experience for the person of, you know, the sounds of shots and the 
uh, warning system of, you know, your weapons are loading or, um, you know, we think in my head, it's the idea of the whole master chief of, um, you know, the game starts and it's weapons are loading or God, I have a terrible voice for that. But anyways, imagine master chief from halo, you know, that type of voice talking about, you know, engage and fire upon your enemy and that type of shit. We want to make it something that seems just intense as shit. Um, everything we do, we want to make it that way. So the guys spec'd out speakers for it, and we looked at how we're going to connect it, and we found out we're bypassing these other components of the cart and the control systems, which helps add value to our our op, our, our model. Um, and then we look at you know feedback mechanisms for scoring screens and um, you know the gamification of it, showing cartoons and stuff like that, or avatars that can be picked for people around the track and when they're shooting and when they've been hit, type of things like that. I mean, honestly, what I'm realizing with this gaming side of things is the opportunities for development are fucking endless. You can do anything you want with it. Um, We've really just got to have something on the table first. And Kevin and the interns, they've been busting their ass and they're knocking stuff out so fucking fast. It's been insane. Um, We're at the point now where we can start to put these things on a cart. We'd love to be putting up the track this week so that we can start to test some of these things out, but... Um, due to construction constraints and them needing to paint ceiling and um, get in for uh, routing cables and hardware and lighting and all that stuff. We can't put in the track until mid-July, which is actually earlier than we should be putting it in as it is. But um, we're really pushing the contractors to do this. And they're they're being very receptive of it. They're just a bunch of great people. We've really enjoyed them. Um, but you know, those are all the stages. We constantly have to be working within the scope of these timeframes, but we're very excited. It is definitely looking like on January 1st, we should be able to launch a fully customer experience facing version of the infinity combat system. And for those of you that know anything about this, I, I think you're, everybody's pretty fucking excited about this. And we're really looking forward to seeing those smiling faces the first time that they get to experience that. So I've talked to you off for quite a while now. Hopefully that gives you a pretty good update. Thanks for listening, guys. Do me a favor. Recommend this to people. Push this out there. I have a lot of fun recording this. I get a lot of feedback that this helps people. Send it out there. Share it on your social media. It, I, it would mean the world to me. Have a good day, guys. Go kick some ass. See ya. <laughs>